Well, uh, our daughter, one and a half year old, uh, Mila, she has discovered uh, toothpaste. Oof. And and now you know, you know, babies, they 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 try everything out. My my, uh, I think that one of the books, the book I recommended last time, was uh, the Good Enough Parent, and and it makes you know it, it has this good explanation of, uh, you know, if you would imagine a an alien who has just landed on the planet mm-hmm. and is not familiar with everything, that's basically like what what a baby and a toddler is like. They're just discovering everything for the first time. Yep. That's that's why, you know, like tonight, uh, I, I took her on the dog walk with me, and every time an airplane flies over, she, like, stopped and just points at it as if to be like, check that out. What is this? Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and then I found myself, this is, you know, I found myself saying as we were walking, it's like, oh, yeah, that's an airplane. I used to I used to be on those a lot. And then I was like, oh, don't travel anymore. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but... It was still nice. Before now, you get now, off that, it is a very, it is nice when you have a very young child because it is an um, an opportunity to just narrate your life for no reason because it is. Yes. Like, that's how kids learn, right? Like, so you can, um, like, you can just completely have a monologue of just doing very mundane things and then like yeah, just yeah. asking rhetorical questions. Like, and it's just, uh, I think it's funny as children get older, you're like, Oh, I, I have to stop doing that now. That that's a sign of maybe some type of uh, mental problem. But, uh, but yeah, when you have a small kids, like that's all you do. Just walk around and monologue everything, you know, cause they're in, and they're the audience. They're so excited, right? They're just looking at you and they're like either asking questions or just mimicking you. So that's, that's the advantage of having very young children. Yeah, I, th- I think I think to that point, that's interesting because you know I think there's there's some infamy around the idea that the older you get, the more you just like read signs out loud. You know, you're just like driving around and you're just like student movers, huh? Or or you know, so that's like, a sign. You know, I feel like now you're saying like I feel like I do that. So that's a sign of just being old. Being yeah. Or, All right. Well, or, mm-hmm. or just like just like you know, Spring Lake U-Haul. But wait, now with your older son, I would like to compare and contrast here because what's, um, as I was saying before, like at some point you have to stop to do it. So now my son is 11 and probably the most common response to anything I say is, quote, I know, end quote, right? So that's what he says all the time to me, right? Like it can be anything, right? I mean, it can be anything. Even when I know he doesn't know it, he'll say that. So, but there is this point of like, you're like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I've, I, I like you, you know what's going on. Like you're no longer to your earlier thing. You're no longer an alien. You're part of uh, the, uh, right. the the human race here, and you know what's going on. So I don't need to tell you what that is, even though because I think that's where the whole like dad splaining comes from, right? It's like mm. you're sort of like do it at the beginning because you you know it is helpful for a young child, but then it's sort of you know it's like you're almost like you're just stuck, right? You keep doing it, and then people are like, "Why are you dan- mansplaining, dad splaining to me?" You're like, "I don't know. I just it just happened." Well, I think I think in defense of of that. Uh... Uh, you know, dad, mom, parents planning. It's it's hard after a while to figure out like what it is your kids remember, and, and also what you need to constantly remind them of. Like like you know my my is it Bet Noir? Like is just like it's <laughs> just like there's these three critical minutes of the day, mm-hmm. and that is we've got to get you to school. And like you know, I even joke every now and then. I'm like, I know we haven't done this before. For like seven years, but like, <laughs> let me go over what we're doing here, like what the deal mm-hmm. is. And, you know, I just, uh, the other day we just didn't get out the door in time and I started biking again. And I just, I just, I, 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 I didn't lose it in the sense of getting upset. I lost it in the sense existentially. And I was just like, I just, 
you you guys got to help me. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't. Under, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand. I've tried everything. I I got nothing. <laughs> right, and that's where like you know that's where you know, the, the quote unquote like you know becoming more and more strict with rules. Right, that's like at some point that's all you have left. Right, and you just so I'm, I'm with you. But I will say I did this last night. And I would like your you can critique this. It's like mm. because I get you know the I know a lot, and I think one thing. Like, I think it's fair. Like, I think it's a fair criticism of maybe all, all parenting in this age is like, Hey, you don't let kids fail enough. Let them just do it and fail. That's a better mm. way to learn. So my son last night, for some reason we had like the old school popcorn that came in like this tin, you know, the tin thing, tin foil that you kind of put over some heat and it just kind of blows up or pops oh, up. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we had it for like some camping reason. Anyway, he decided last night, he's like, I want to make it. I'm like, okay, fine. Right. He's old enough. He, he knows how to use everything. And so. So I asked him, do you need any help? He said, no. And I asked him again as like, I was like, he's in the kitchen. And then I was, I was like, are you sure? Do you need any assistance? He said, no. So I just, I was like, go for it. Right. And of course, like, you know, this isn't going to go well. Like, it's just not going to go well. Right. And so <laughs> he starts it up, right. Turns the heat on too high. And, you know, it's anyway, and, and, and he's not like, you know, moving it and you know, kind of keeping it like in constant movement as you're supposed to juggle it. And so like, so it's slowly, um, it starts to burn. Right. And then my wife gets up, right. Cause she was doing something and she gets over and she's like, Whoa, wait a minute. It's, Cause it's now it's going bad. It's like, it's not, it's burning and she's trying to show him how to do it. And then eventually it smokes a little bit. So then of course what happens, the smoke detector goes off and it's like super loud in the house. And like, and I honestly, I just sat there. I was just like very mellow about the whole thing. And so, so at the end it was like, it was fine. Right. It was just fine. Threw the popcorn out. It didn't work. And I was just like, I was like thinking to myself, this is great parenting. Like, so I'm just like, Hey, you know, now he knows. Right. And so, um, and he was, and then he came over and he said something like, well, you didn't really offer to help. And I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. That <laughs> this is the moment I was like, I asked you multiple times and I let you do. And so, but then like everyone seemed to be mad at the end of that. Like, my wife was like, well, you know, why does this, why did this not work? And my son was like, and I was like, you know, so in the end, right. It's like, you're kind of big cornered back into the mansplaining thing. You're like, I tried to let it nature take its course here, but uh-huh. people didn't like the outcome. So, so I don't know. Is it damned if you do damned if you don't, or is it just like, that was fine. That was actually a good experience. Um, but it doesn't mean like today when I ask him later on, after I see him today, I'll ask him if he wants help or something. I'm sure he'll say he doesn't. So maybe nothing was really changed in that whole scenario. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, anger and frustration has to be channeled somewhere. I think <laughs> I, I, I haven't finished. I think I've referenced this before, but I haven't finished reading this book on like emotions. That's this famous book. Right. And uh, and he makes the, the guy he makes the point that that they've studied that like in the wild, like animals often do the following, like like especially like gorillas and chimps because they're studied a lot. And like if if there's two gorillas and and they get in a fight and the one the one that loses often walks away and then finds another one like just another random monkey and just like hits them <laughs> just because it like feels better is the theory right <laughs> okay. and similarly like like if you think about that there's a lot of times where you go like be angry at someone and it's because someone was angry at you and you just have to like discharge yeah, it true. And like, it, kind of it makes you feel yeah. a little better and so yeah. like similarly i think like you know even even if you uh, learn by failing you, you got to channel that, uh, that disappointment somewhere. And then, and then that is, that is the annoying thing is like, well, why did you let this happen? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Well, more importantly, it, come back to bring us back to I, anyhow. I, she did. She discovered what happened with the, did she learn that you're not supposed to like, no, I think I, that seems like I the think, outcome. Well, we, that's what we're teaching her, right? You're not supposed to eat it, but 
The other day, she also discovered, I think she, uh, Toothpaste has allowed her to discover hiding out. Oh, so, yes. Uh-huh. So she, she somehow grabbed the toothpaste, and then she went around to the side of the sink, and she was standing there. And is, I think she thought she, we couldn't see her. Yeah. And so we, we crept over there, and then she like slowly looked up to like indicate that she could see us. And, uh, you know, so that's exciting. Now she knows how to hide, which uh, I, th- I think is going to be a good skill with two older siblings. <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, speaking of kids, I, I, I have two more things. One, I have a small thing I want to mention. Uh, you know, I, I know that over in our little community in the Slack group, some pe- people have, it's a very small story. But you know, I had I had a little bit of a trial getting uh, getting my son Cormac set up with the game on uh, on a laptop. Mm-hmm. We, we we decided to abandon it because the laptop was just not powerful enough yep. to uh, to do anything with Arc. It was very difficult. It was very strange. <laughs> no Arc faults on that laptop. Yeah, I'm, still, it, I'm still fighting Arc faults in my house. Go on. That's uh, I think I think that's Steam, right? I found the whole the whole Steam experience very bizarre. Like it was a very weird. I'm sure once once you use it for like a week or so, it's like everything else. It seems normal, but it just seemed like they just decided to come up with their own way of doing software. That just like it's a little had, bit like in some ways, it's a little bit reminiscent of Kubernetes, right? It's like, well, we had to just go a whole different way. But if you get there and you're like, oh, now I can get all the games, right? It's like if you get yeah, on that learning curve, you're like, this is better. But go on. It just it just felt like you know when you open an app and it's like a swing app and you're like whoa what's yeah. going on here everything is this different is... yeah uh-huh. and yeah anyhow and uh, but he wanted to change his uh, his his gamer tag yep. his his handle and uh, so I was working on that with him um, and thankfully he doesn't have to pay for it at this point and so you know he wanted to be first he wanted to be Eclipse and I was like well you know we'll see if that's available <laughs> probably not <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he went through all these things and he kept trying. And then finally he just got, it was, it was, it was sad. He just got so frustrated and angry and, and it was hard to just, you know, you can't just tell him like, well, I mean, I explained the facts to him, which like, that's never a good idea, <laughs> right? It's never, no, no one is ever satisfied when they hear something like, well, there are a lot of people who play this right. uh, for a long time. And so they've come up with a lot of names. There's millions of people. And so that's why. Uh, you can't find a name, and then, and then you know, after gnashing their teeth and patting the desk, the person's like, "Oh, okay, that seems reasonable." Right. Like no one's like a Jedi or anything. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if he's come up with a name yet, but I did find a site that suggests random names for you, and uh, maybe he'll work on that. But 
more importantly, in the the kids' digital transformation, I had not come across this until uh, you know uh, you brought it to my attention, Brandon. But it looks like in a couple years that back in the U.S. there's this thing called the SAT, the Standard Assessment Test. I think it's aptitude test, but whatever. Aptitude, close, close, close enough. Aptitude's a bit ambitious. Maybe that test has changed over the years since I took it. But <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to do it online. No more number two pencils and bullets. I wonder if that will change a lot of the strategies. If you do, you, I, I haven't I haven't looked into it fully. But I wonder, do you can you take it from home or do you still yeah. have to go well, to a uh, to to a place? I thought this was really interesting because we always like talking about digital transformation and I like to talk about like things that are just like not, you know, not talking about like Netflix and Twitter and all that. And so, uh, as I'm just looked it up here, it's the scholastic aptitude test. That's oh, the SAT. So that's the official name. So, uh, for our, all of those listeners outside the United States, the SAT is traditionally been one of two tests. Um, almost every student seeking to, uh, apply to college would take, right? And so, and it, uh, it's been a three hour test. It's been given a papal paper and pencil for, I don't know, Kote, since the beginning. So, well, even, even before since you and the I, beginning. Said, even since uh, you and I, I think it was designed in like the 1960s, but it's essentially yeah. been taken by everyone that's trying to attend college for whatever since then. And so the change this week I thought was really interesting because one, they did officially announce, um, that in, in a couple of years, the test will only be given online. And you will have to still take it at like some type of uh, proctored place, a school or something like that. Right. But you'll either be able to use the school's computing resources, or you know, it sounds like you can bring an S, uh, a laptop or even a, a tablet, which I think that's interesting. It's like, oh man, I don't know. It'd just be interesting to take something on a tablet like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll be easy. Um, but the things that I thought were interesting about it was too, the other change was, they're going to make the test just two hours. So traditionally it's three hours and there used to be some other stuff like writing and things like that. So they're just moving it to two hours. And so one, I think it's just amazing. Like, let's just think about this as like a digital transformation exercise, right? So uh, I just happened to come across it yesterday. So 1.7 million, uh, you know, people took the SAT last year. So you can just do the math. It's like everybody involved in giving, taking and grading this test now gets an hour back, right? So I'm like, wow, that's got to be one of the biggest, easiest quantified um, digital transformation changes ever, right? So I mean, we're talking, you know, over probably two, three million hours of time given back to people to just do whatever they want. So I think that's an incredible, like if we were building out the, the success slide, of digital, that's what we would put on there first. Two, but I have to ask, my question though, it's just like, why suddenly like on this date, why was it decided that like it only takes two hours to assess your aptitude for college after 50 or 60 years of having it to take three? Like, don't you think this breakthrough could have like happened? Like, I don't know, 30 years ago. Like that, that part I think is really interesting. Like, like, I, and of course that calls into question. Like I would have a ton of questions all around. It's like, well, could we do it in 90 minutes? Like, do you, you know, like keep ratcheting it back? Like how, how, like exactly how long do we need to take the SAT? Cause I don't, even if you did well on the SAT, I don't think many people enjoy taking the test. I don't know. Did you enjoy it? Was it something fun for you? No. No. Right. No. I was. I was terrible at stuff like. Or, you know. I. I didn't enjoy things like that back then. Um. Uh, at, at all. I guess I probably wouldn't enjoy it now. But. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. That is. Uh. You know. In. In the article, there are quotes from several people about how it's more efficient on on the computer. But I think. I think. It. It is. You know. It, it is like an hours lost assessing so, uh, someone. It is. 
I guess you could cut back on things and but really like could it be that efficient because you're talking well, about turning let me, pages let me give you the um the i guess some of the theory behind it and i don't know i you know surprisingly i wasn't uh, involved in rewriting the sat i just shockingly but uh what i do know is other standardized tests that i have taken because other things like uh the gmat and other like more i guess what do you call it what secondary or master's education you know kind of school they've been doing this for a while you've been able to take these online and what they do um is based on the answers to the previous questions determines the next question. So the idea is that like, right. if I think if you're showing uh, competence in a, a very easy subject or at least easy to you, they'll give you a harder question and then give you a harder question. So that way, if you think about the SAT, it was sort of like, well, you got to ask kind of like, you know, all kind of tiers of the question, maybe like the easy, the medium, the hard and the super hard, whereas the computer can kind of like, oh, you know, Kote, you're doing well in this section. Let me advance you to the next set of questions because I only need I to see. see a certain amount. So that that I think is an advantage. That's maybe one reason. So there's like you less. You might end up with less questions. Basically. Right, less questions, and I guess, a, but uh, but a sufficient sample so that someone that's like you know designing this test can say like, oh, he answered whatever this amount of the hard questions, right? So we're pretty confident it wasn't just luck, right? It was like right, he right, demonstrated right, right. knowledge, and maybe that's only. Maybe that's like five or 10 questions versus being 20 or so. I don't, you know, I have no idea. Um, but I do, I don't know. It's still, it, it does make me think though, just the opposite stuff is like, well, if you're never pushed to like make, make it shorter, right? I mean, this is definitely one of those things of monopoly. Like if you wanted to go to college up until recently, you had to take this test. So if it was three hours, you know, you just took it. Like there's no, there was no one to complain to, right? So, um, so I think that part is really interesting. And then two, I just think on the administration side, right? Again, back to digital transformation, think about, all the paper that doesn't have to be collected, uh, all the, you know, pencils and all of that kind of stuff. And also I think proctoring the exam got a lot easier in the sense of like, you're going to be able to use a calculator. So you just kind of have to watch somebody with a computer and a calculator and just make sure they don't do anything else. Right. There's no really kind of, it just seems a lot simpler. And then you do at the end, the proctor doesn't have to collect all the stuff up, mm. mail it off. You know, the scan trions have to then manually be unpacked, scanned. And then of course the inevitable, you know, scores need to be, you know, entered into some system and then that system has to be um, sent out. And, and most of the time, I think back when we took it, I think you got it, the SATs in the mail. I think you can actually still log in and get your scores, but you still have to get the official score in the mail. So, so that's huh. another, like, I thought like a huge win for digital transformation, right? It's like, look at that, all that stuff instantly gone. Somebody you go, you walk in, you take the test, uh, two hours, I'm sure they can send you your scores immediately. The proctor just says, thanks for coming in, closes the door. They don't have to do any administration. So another huge win, a huge win for everyone trying to go to college, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like the written part that, a, well, maybe even a human doesn't need to read it. You can just send it to grandma. Well, they got rid of that. They got rid of the, uh, no well, written the essay. Part. The essay part is now wow. gone. Wow. So. That's crazy. Huh? Well, that's I like, don't... that's like the only part that I would do good on. I think like, <laughs> otherwise it's just like math and like, I don't, I don't know math. It's terrible. Right. But the other thing that I think here is interesting, too, is to kind of what you're talking about is like what has also um, changed here. And again, as we often talk about digital transformation, like there's some external factor that has happened. So obviously the pandemic, they, uh, because of that, they, most colleges loosened up on like having to take the SATs just in general because it was difficult to get groups of people together to take it. So so a lot of schools said, hey, we're not going to require this anymore. And so now I think it's something like 80 percent of colleges don't require the SATs to actually to apply, mm. right? So you nice. sort of, it's become an optional thing. But if you're the the owner of SAT, right, and you're the the people, so you, that's a huge risk to your business. So you've gone from maybe 
two, two and a half million people taking this test down to 1.7 million this year. And going forward, most of the schools now are going to make it optional. So you can see a point where either, you know, it completely goes away. Like nobody, like I was talking to, to my son, maybe your son as well. And just saying like, you know, I don't know by the time it, they're of the age to take this, like it would, you'd only take it if you're good at getting, if you're going to get a good score and you think it's going to aid your application, right? Otherwise, like, you know, why, if you're just sending a bad score, like you're never going to send it in. So it's sort of like maybe by the time that they're applying to school, like it just won't matter at all. So that would be the full digital transformation to be like, they're now out of business. Oh yeah. They, they, they went through, uh, they modernized and they chose the option of all the R's retire. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's the one that they, they, they wanted to get rid of. Well, that's, that's, uh, you know, maybe there'll be a little app on a phone. You can just recreationally take SATs, mini SATs just for fun. But it does seem like this seems like the perfect place to disrupt it. Like somebody that was smart at this would be like, yeah, like, could you get this test to an hour? Right. And could you make it super easy? And could you build in all the training and, um, you know, practice like right into the whole curriculum? Be like, yeah, like the new test is called whatever college test X. And like, here's the site and you can go on and like, you know, study for it and practice as much as you want. You know, here's the fee. And if you decide that you want to send your score in you just like put in your information and, and they, they'll even get rid of this proctor thing. Like a lot of people are now doing like, just turn on your video camera, right? Like during uh, the mm. test and they just count that as online proctoring in some ways. And it's like, so you have this way, like if you make it a lot easier and a lot shorter and you make it really easy, everyone has equal access to all the test prep. It's like, it seems like that's an easy place to potentially like make it easy for people to, to take it and, uh, and really displace the SAT once and for all. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> it was never fun taking those tests. Yeah, so, so, so annoying. Now, meanwhile, it's time to check in as always into the business of open source, Brandon. I, yep. don't, know if we have a we- I don't know if we have a Web3 update for this episode, <laughs> but you know, the other thing we like to talk about every episode is what's up with open source. And I think... The uh, you know there's still there's still some theories after the old the old log for J thing and other stuff that floating around of like how do we uh, in 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 a world where it's you know there aren't necessarily people getting paid to take care of this stuff or the same dynamics happening how do we ensure that the uh, the core foundational open source stuff is uh, taken care of and that someone's paying attention to it what's what's the assurance that we have and now. I want you to go over. I, I've got this image here. I've read through the article a little bit, but I, I couldn't read through it in detail. But now we've got, I want to call it the, the pyramid and arrows model to, to, <laughs> right. to discuss something going on. And we'll make it I part think- of the show. Or, or, so if you look down at your podcast player right now, you'll be able to see a picture of this uh, nice pyramid with arrows. But what's, what's our, fun, our, our buddy at Badger here? What's, what's he proposing? Is it, does, he, does he get to a solution? Well, I think to some degree he does, but I think he does a good job, I think, of just laying out the problem. And I think maybe it's obvious to everyone, but I think, you know, his arrows are sort of kind of saying at the top, right? So if you think about it, if you're building out an application that you personally care about, you're going to have a custom UI, you're going to have some type of, you know, devices and web services that you care about. And the part that's good about that is like, that's going to be something that you're building and it's going to be your proprietary information. It's going to be the thing that makes you money. So of course, there's going to be a lot of incentives to make sure that works well, that there aren't any bugs, that it's secure and things like that. And so 
what he kind of talks about is you go down the pyramid, it gets bigger, right? It's like, well, and then you have, of course, your tools and compilers and your browsers, right? There's a whole group of people building those, and there's relatively good incentives to keep those things secure for various reasons. And then you kind of get to the bottom, and this is where you get to, like, really the a lot of the open source, right? So, you know, whether it's, like, the libraries, your frameworks, your various implementations. And at that point, you know, he just kind of points out, like, that's the place that there are not a lot of incentives, right, for anyone to make sure that all works and secure, even though... Most people are going to use them. No one, it's kind of a commons kind of thing. No one feels responsible, if you will, to make sure it's always working and there aren't that many problems. And that's where we get stuff mm. like Log4J. And I think there was actually recently, there was uh, another type of problem. And so I think his point was, he was trying to say is like, you know, one of the things people try to do is serve it, um, is to offer up money. Like, hey, we'll pay somebody to fix this. And he talks a little bit about like, as the projects get smaller, it's not that helpful because one for like a big organization to give someone money, it's not always that easy. Right. You know, it's like, if I want to give you money to like be an OSS, it's like, you need a lot of, you actually need some way to do that. So that's, that's one thing. And then two, of course it changes the, the alt, the kind of the relationship. Like if I'm suddenly giving you a, like a grant, right. And giving someone a grant directly, not that easy. Right. So it's like, you know, like, like you Cote probably don't have the ability to accept a grant today. Right. Um, but even if you did now, there's sort of like this idea that like, you know, you kind of work for me, right. Or at least there's some implicit kind of thing, which starts to get into that. So the thing he's kind of pointing out, and I think kind of comes back to probably what every open source project wants is like, you actually want more contributors, right? You want people actually helping and getting involved, whether it's testing the, the software or actually doing some of the security stuff. But he talks a little bit about, you know, that, that seems to be kind of like, you know, the last thing that, you know, people come to, right. The hardest thing to do and the best thing to do is probably be like, Hey, assign some people to work on this and become an active member of the community. But that's sort of like, you only do that once there's like a major problem, like log for J, like people kind of descend in and they get in there and they start looking at it and offering up help. Um, But I think his point is like, how do you, like, how do we incentivize that from the beginning? Right. Don't just sit around. And I think that's like an interesting question going forward for the whole industry. It's like, it's sort of like maybe there's a little bit of like eat your vegetables in that kind of statement, but mm-hmm. you still have to do it. Yeah, that, 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 that's probably true for all open source stuff is like the best thing, if you have money, so to speak, the best thing you can do is like have use that money to like pay a person to work on it rather than just transferring the money. But then, but then as a, as a, as a company or an organization, you're kind of, you put, you put yourself in a weird position of like, we employ this person and they don't make us any money. <laughs> right like they're not, it's not even that they're a cost center they just like there's no there's no direct contribution to it and like but but that's probably what would be the most helpful and uh, i mean that's that's what the, i mean basically you are paying someone to work on on open source kind of on your behalf to to check things out for you you know also doing the little dance of like you know you can't tell people what to do and all that kind of right. stuff and figuring that out. Well, and it, it it reminds me of I just by coincidence I wrote I watched a um, one of uh, one of the webinars that that we had. Uh, I've done I do this fun thing in my uh, my Tanzu talk streaming video now. I I think I don't think that I, I think this is a phrase right? Like I have a watch party of one and I watch another <laughs> video and I comment on it as I watch it. It's it's good stuff. It's especially good because these are like you know. It's a real double bagger, as it were, because these are videos I need to watch anyways. And then I also get, not only do I watch the video to get the content, 
but I also create content while I'm watching them. It's just so it's like it's a mystery science three thousand kind of thing, right? You're like, yeah, you're, yeah. You're I'll it. have oh, my okay. little head okay. down there, and yeah. I'll be, and sometimes I'll stop it and be like, you know, make this a is the equivalent of like watching the webinar, but then like having a Slack channel open where everyone's commenting on it, which forces you to like watch the webinar, which I think is that's good. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's the other good thing. Anyways, it was about tech debt, and and not only like w- w- defining tech debt, but they were trying to come up with a scheme similar to this, where if you are a product manager. You can actually, or you know, uh, you can actually kind of weigh addressing tech debt, which has no, yeah, direct, n- yeah, no, no mod- direct yeah. value, mm-hmm. uh, with like also you know implementing a feature, right? Like so that's that's the trade off, as as you well know, that you're always making between like tech debt or like legacy or security fixes or whatever, and uh, and and like an actual feature. And I was thinking like you know a a good example is if you like. If you actually you remember those uh, Amazon button things, like if you actually had like a one-click reorder for a product, right. that would be an incredibly attractive feature. Like people would be like, we'll, "We'll make tons of money with that," which which you will, right? Like it's obvious. Versus like, well, we could do that, or we could go uh, update our build software to make the build work better. And and you know, it's just like no, no one's ever going to pick update the build thing, but. They tried to come up with a scheme of kind of like quantifying the benefit that they get. But at the end, what it amounted to, which is fine, is I think this is what it amounted to. It's an interesting way of thinking about it is, is that if, if we address this tech debt more, we can do more in the future. So what, what you're investing in is capacity, right? That you, you get more capacity and then you can kind of sort to it, it's a little it's still a little weird, but you can sort of start to say like, oh, what I'm getting now is the ability to do double the amount, not double would be terrible, but to do, you know, 0.4 more things like next release or whatever, which is sort of good, but it still is difficult to compare those two things. And I think that's why security stuff gets so much attention because the, the value of security is just like, you know, doesn't shit the bed. People seem tend to like that, so you can kind of always. Or it seems like nowadays you can kind of just like claim security and, and just do move on, right? It. But then also, like, uh, then again, well, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the security space, because, but you only see the reactive things when some bug is found and people scramble to do it. But I wonder, I wonder how much time is spent proactively finding security problems, like. Maybe that happens as well, that, you know, you're not just being reactive, you're being... All right, uh, so let me throw an idea at you. So I was like, okay, so I read this article, and there just happened to be uh, this week another uh, article. It's basically uh, a a major uh, cyber insurance company basically said, hey, we're not going to pay out for this this, uh, incident that happened, right? And anyway, there was a lawsuit, and ultimately, the company got its money. And it's like, well, if if you have to quantify it, maybe the place to go is actually the people that are selling this cyber mm. you know insur- cyber security insurance cyber right? insurance right cyber insurance whatever you call it it's like okay that group of people ha- does have a vested interest in making sure that you are using the most secure open source libraries that are available right or that sure. at least you've yeah. done some minimum thing and i think this is the equivalent of when you buy auto insurance they look at your your driving record um often here in the u.s when you're getting some type of health insurance um they're you know at least incentivizing you to go see a doctor and like be aware of your health and things like that right because they they have a vested interest in you staying healthy right and so that's you know back to this whole thing i was like well maybe this is the place where the money is quantified like somebody knows the premium they're paying like i'm paying 
a premium of X millions of dollars or whatever it is. Um, and the insurance company could, you know, they can either make the premium high and just be like, Hey, do whatever you want, but it's going to be a higher premium because, you know, I just, I don't know what you're doing, but Hey, if you, if you use these open source libraries or, you know, you take these kinds of things, then uh, we'll give you a lower premium. And then they, behind the scenes, that insurance company could funnel some of that money, you know, in a way that's like, okay, well, let's make sure that we do have active contributors to all of these major projects and that they are constantly being updated because we know in the end that'll reduce the amount of potential um, security violations out there and we get to keep more of the premiums, right? So so maybe there's an alignment there, but it's like kind of hard to get everybody... Like yeah, the, on the, the same the, page, the cyber insurance people, they need to be hiring these security people to work on open source things. That that would be great. I mean, insurance companies have tons of money. It's great business. They they should peel off some of that to like, you know, just in the same way that like there's the Linux foundation that Linux people work at or whatever. Like right. that should be like the 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 uh, the 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 foundation for a secure cyber tomorrow or something like that. And uh what would the acronym for that be? And uh, then then they can pay for it because it helps them out. That that would be fun. You know. Feels impossible, though. Like, as I lay it out, I'm like, wow, that seems yeah, like a yeah. good idea. It's and a, lot also, of, a lot of moving parts. It does. It's just, But I, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know when here in the U.S., like, at some point, they were like, well, if you want to get more money for your insurance uh, spending account, they're like, go get your cholesterol checked, right? And it's like, and yeah, people yeah. do it. I mean, I mean, some people do it. Not everyone does it. So, um but I don't it's know. Like, that, like that the, probably the took libertarians decades. Libertarians won that round. I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, and then in the end, I don't know. Like, are we maybe health insurance is a bad one because, like, I don't know. At the end, is that like a better thing? But at least somebody was incentivized. But I just I wanted to go back to your other thing. Is like, you know, you were talking about the quantifying of tech debt, and I, I think like this is a very this is an answer. I think you never want to give it your job. But like, I just feel like the answer to this is like the reason you're going to do it is you've hired experienced people that know what's going on and they just, they like everybody knows, right? Like this can't get so out of hand that it starts to, you know, really uh, impact the performance of our product. And the same thing with usability. Like I think, see this all the time with enterprise software and somebody was posting a concur screenshot the other day and complaining about the UI. And it's like, we all know the UI is bad. It's not like people don't know. Right. And like, we all know how it could be fixed. And, mo- and I'm not just picking on Concur here. Like, I'm just thinking most enterprise software falls in this category. It's like, but the reason is we, we sort of demand these spreadsheet analysis, right, of things that like are just intuitively, if you have enough experience, and I'm not even talking like you need 50 years of experience. I'm talking like you need five, four or five years to like get a sense of like, you know, is this, is this good, right? Or is this tech debt good? And I think that's the problem. It's like, we're just so unwilling to like trust people to be like, you're right. Like this release is going to be light on features because there's a lot of tech debt or there's like, yes, you can technically do everything in the UI, but you know what happened is like to see uh, a list of a thousand items, someone has to click on uh, 10, uh, uh, they only can see 10 entries at a time and they have to click the arrow a hundred times, right? Like it's all the time Like you see stuff like that. So I don't know if we'll ever get to the point that that people embrace that, but it's like, if you've hired smart people and you really do trust them, it's like, let them do that. Just like when I get the oil changed in the car, like I don't need to have a long speech from the mechanic 
or you know, or some uh, some technician explaining to me why that the car will eventually have problems uh, when I if I don't change the oil. I just know that like yeah, it's been about three thousand or five thousand or eight, whatever your car is, and you get it done. And I just like until we get to that point, like we're gonna live through like a lot of bad software. Is my 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 thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think the you know another 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 thing that the, these people brought up that like you know, or, or something they were talking about that reminded me of a bigger point is like, despite all the learning about like lean manufacturing and stuff, I think most people, or I think the idea of like end to end thinking and optimizing er- all the bottlenecks, you know, old, old gold Radian thinking, I, I just get the sense that like, as a whole, humanity doesn't do that, even though like it makes sense, right? Like when you lay it out. And so for example, they they had the survey that they uh, this is turning into like an ad for this webinar, but it was it was good content. But like they they had the survey that they send out to developers to like find the uh, the tech debt. And one of the things there's a lot of questions about like getting setting up your workstation to the point where you can start coding, like like what it takes to do that. And you can see what they're fi- what they're asking around is like, do we have tech debt around? I mean, this is the ultimate right, onboarding, functional right? yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, do we have tech debt to just, like, onboard? Yeah. W- when it comes to the build process, your IDE environment, I mean, just, like, sitting down at your desk and just getting to, to code. Like, that's a form of tech debt that people probably don't even think that much about. And, like, logically, if you had, like, a, a very pure, lean way of thinking, you would be like, well, of course, in a factory, you've got, like, I don't really know the names for this, but in a factory, you've got, like, setup time and unsetup time, right? Like, right. You, if you've got a drill press, if all you're paying attention to is what it takes for someone to grab a lever and pull it down, you're not going to optimize shit, right? Like you got to look at all this other stuff. And so you've got to optimize the setup time as much as possible. And that would make sense in a factory. But then when it comes to like office work, I don't think anyone thinks that way. They're just like, hence, hence emailing things around all the time and like not having that intuition that like, oh, we should speed up the way that your setup time works like in an office environment. Like we've got to look at everything that happens from like having an idea to like the business changing to do it and optimize all of those bottlenecks through it. But it just seems like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have hope anymore that you can ever really. Well, do I think the hope the is like world. you see things like this work pretty well at companies. That I think are somewhere between like, I'm going to say 35 and 200 people. Right. Mm, because like yes. you, you can generally know everyone, if not know them, you kind of know their name and everyone is sort of like close enough to the processes and the people that control them that there's a constant communication cycle, right? Like, oh, God. you know, just your point about the onboarding is like, actually turns out it was pretty hard to set up the laptop, um, you know, for this person and it took about a week. And then someone would be like, you know, I can just create a standard image and it will work and things like that. But like, there's this like nice community where there's enough resources and there's enough tight connection communication paths to get things fixed. But then when you get either you're too small and you do, you know about the problems, but you just have no ability to fix them because just, you're like doing so many other things. Or you get too big that all the standardization starts to work against you, right? They're like, well, that's just the way it is because we had to build a laptop image for everyone. And I'm sorry that, you know, that you have to install the extra tools. It's just like, what can we do? And, um, and it is like it is to your point about like I think to your your earlier point about like it does there is a point where you just sort of get I would say maybe not give up hope but you sort of like there's acceptance right you're just sort of like a- apathetic you're like it is what it is right and back to my concurring example it's like you know what I can still find an expense report it gets done 
right? It gets done and it's, it's a little bit annoying, but you know, who has the time to think about that? Well, I, on that note, I got an email that, that I don't know if this means the concur we're using is upgraded, but there's a new version of concur <laughs> that, that we will be uh, exposed to at some point. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what it looks like. To see if they if concur will acknowledge the back button in the browser, or or it'll become you know an apostate of of back buttonry. We'll find out about that. It'll be uh, maybe they'll even maybe you'll even be able to drag things to it. Or my favorite is when when uh, you have you you've purchased your hotel and your airfare through concur, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or you've rented a car. It's gotten better about this over the year, and then it still wants you to upload a receipt. Yep, this happens yep. often, and it, it just it just uh, I'm sure it has something to do with enterprise integrations, and uh, if you're doing this, that, or the other, but it's just uh, it's just crazy. It's crazy making batch editing. That's also <laughs> that would be great, but it it does. What was I looking at today? I was looking at something today. Oh, maybe I was in Salesforce. Yeah, I, I was. I finally figured out kind of how to do some reporting on the effectiveness of my work as reflected in Salesforce. I don't know. I've got to explore it some more. And I figured out how to do one thing. And I had, I had, uh, I thought of you, Brandon, because I had this very Brandon moment where I was like, okay, now I just need to download a CSV file so that I can <laughs> open this up in Excel and do the real yep. work. Yep. And it is just like, yeah, every time, every time it's one, always... you need, you need export data and really, can I just have this in a spreadsheet? Absolutely. That's, that's what I want. I, Mature yeah. websites have, when they say like download to Microsoft Excel format, you're just like, they get it. These are my people. Like I like banks that have that, where that's not even CSV, they're like Excel. They're like you don't have to do, because of course, when you download to CSV, you open an Excel, you do some, some advanced formatting. And then it's like, if you forget, God forbid you forget to be like save as new Excel format, you lose all your stuff because it goes back to CSV, right? And it's like, so for all the people that have implemented download to Microsoft Excel, like you, you, you are my people and I appreciate the extra step that you went because that's a good example. Somebody was like, we could just do CSV. It's like, no, if we make it to Excel, it's going to be a million times easier for everyone. So I love to see, you know, more of those um, kinds of features implemented. And, and then, and then who maintains that open source library that generates Excel? <laughs> we need to, we need to check into that. And make yeah, sure that we ought to, we should, we should make well. sure they're not in, inserting some like weird uh, arbitrary stuff, but it's kind of back to the SAT thing that you're talking about before. It's like, think about, you know, we're picking on concur, but it's just the example. Like I have no problem with concur. I use it all the time, use it at many companies. They're very successful. So I don't want to be like unfair to it, but, but your thing about scanning receipts, it's like anyone that has done an expense report, right? You know how painful it is to be asked for receipts that are either very low value or like literally you have the transaction from the credit card company. Like the receipt, I mean, there's like, there's nothing more about the receipt that's going to be done. So back to my thing about the SATs, like here we just saved whatever 1.7 million hours next year when, that, when people take it electronically SAT. If someone had that same mindset, it was like, how many millions of hours will we save people scanning and uploading receipts that pr- serve no purpose? They are not providing any necessary audit trail for anything. I mean, I, I think I'm just going to say that's going to save you, save the world 4 million man hours. I mean, just, yeah, just yeah. off the top of my head. It's like something like that is probably 
uh, the potential. So if somebody at Concur was thinking that way, like I'm about to save the industry 4 million hours, like that would be a lot way to, a better way to phrase that than like, oh, it's fine. Kote can take a picture of his phone and then export it to iPhotos and then get it from oh, TIFF yeah. to PDF and then, you know, drag it to the PDF, you know, like the whole little process you have to do. So, Not a big deal. Um, so make it happen. Somebody in, in the expense I, industry. I, 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 always, I always figure the people who are making the decisions are like, why doesn't he just have his assistant do it? Right. Do. Well, that's the other yeah. one, right? Yes. Yes. And, and, and it, it is, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a good example of not paying attention to, uh, like Indian optimizing things, but it makes me think, I bet it would be fascinating to look at the marketing material that concur puts out <laughs> and kind of like reverse engineer it from like, a you know, from, uh, knowing how marketing works for enterprise software. Cause it'd be, this might be a fun game for people Maybe, uh, you know, uh, the what's his name? The professor in Chicago. Although he does programming, not marketing. But if we did some marketing exercises, you would reverse engineer the, their marketing playbook. Like identify the personas they're going after. Mm-hmm. Try to like uncode their buying process, the customer journey based on their marketing material. Figure out if this is top of funnel or mid funnel, like this material that you have. And just kind of like based on your encounter with their... Uh, with their very mature marketing material, draw up, make a presentation that was used to sort through and think through this material. What are the campaigns that they're doing? And I bet, I bet you could go in there and kind of reverse engineer what that, uh, what that strategy deck was based on it. And also it'd be fascinating as an actual user. Fascinating is the wrong word, but it'd be, <laughs> it'd be interesting as like a longtime concur user to go see what promises they're making in their marketing about the software. Cause I feel like, I feel like if you were selling Concur and you had screenshots or did a demo with the Concur UIs that I've used all these times, like it, it wouldn't work very well. Like there must be, there's got to be some other UIs that they, they use. Well, it's more somewhere. the integrations. I'm sure it's the integration with SAP yeah. and Oracle Financials and the back ends and it's time to get payment and it's the time to like have audit material. So the thing Maybe about those it is nobody, are awesome. nobody in the buying process there. Or, or if anyone's there, the person representing the end user is either not in the room or has very little sway in the actual decision. And that's why, back to your thing about investment planning, right? It's like, that's why when the Concur product management team sits down and they're doing investment planning and they're like have to present to their, their uh, product, uh, chief product officer, right? And none of the usability stuff is going to move the needle. Or at least they think that. Everyone is convinced of that, right? And that's why... It's not that they don't know. Like, I'm sure they know it. I'm sure they use the product as well. And like, oh, this thing is just, it's just not so good. Right. But it's like, yeah. that's the whole thing. So I think maybe to your, to your, uh, your presentation done by this little, we'll call them like the MBA marketing group. It's like for them at the end to make the case, like, no, you're actually the missed opportunities. You're ignoring all of this, right. At your own, at your quote unquote own expense. That's the kind of slide you would use, right? You'd kind of like have someone tagline that and be like, if you were to focus on these things that you think are not worth it, you'd actually create an immense amount of goodwill in the user base and it will actually help you, you know, if you will grow your company. At least that would be kind of like an interesting presentation for someone to make that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the last last, uh, thing you would want to go for as far as usability is kind of what you're saying is you will be saving your workers time. And so that, you know, like the, their product productivity will increase because they can file their expenses faster. But I bet ultimately the buyer is usually the CFO, right? Who's, you know, 
doesn't do any of this stuff on their own, so they don't really care about the pain of it. And like, they're probably also kind of like, mm, ultimately, I want to make sure that we are as compliant as possible. Yeah, risk and, averse, and not, right? They care more yeah, about the compliance and usability. Which, yeah, which, which reminds me of another evolving like like theory to the digital transformation stuff. Is like, you know, a lot of people they say things are things are in bad shape because of like compliance or something. And I'm starting to think that that is typically bullshit. That it's just like, and usually what they mean is like, because I don't want to go the work, do the work to actually go see what we're being compliant to. I just want to follow what we have. Because it seems like over time, if you go and like, uh, you know, usually you can go and like read these things. At least this is the mythology, the lore, the stories you hear. And uh, you can interpret them in many different ways. Or... Maybe some new technology comes along and uh, you don't have to worry about it so much. But usually people blaming compliance is just like, seems like an easy out when, when what it really means is like, oh, well, we should go check that. And, uh, yeah, well, sure I think the, the, rules. the reason that happens is like so many of the things that come from compliance start with like legislation that is like fairly easy to, re- to actually understand. Like Starbucks Oxley, like it's just a line or two. It's something like, you know, demonstrate control of this right it's like a very you know very simple thing to understand but then what happens is you get a bunch of auditors and various people involved and then they start to define like what that means and if it goes on long enough all that ever happens is people add to it no one actually takes stuff away right no one goes Mm -hmm. back and says like hey we originally thought we had to do all of this but like, let's look back at the things. Like, we can still demonstrate control by doing this, and let's get I rid guess of you all have these court steps. Cases too, and stuff, yeah, but, you have precedents yeah. and things like that. But very, uh, very few times do things get simpler, right? And I think, and then no one is willing to challenge that, right? Because it's very hard to like find someone that's incentivized to be like, hey, you know, you know, like this fifteen steps you've just put here, we could do it in this one step, right? Um, most of the time, people are like, no, let's just do it the way we've been doing it. Yeah, yeah, you always need a crisis like someone's hair on fire before you fix something. Right. Or kind of back to the, like, you know, you have the, you know, the SAT will change only because there's a pandemic and people are going to stop requiring the tests. Now, suddenly things got a lot easier. Maybe one day, I don't know what will happen in the expense systems. Something will happen and we'll be like, yep. Turns out a credit card charge is all we need. That's it. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. You just, I, my theory is that like all the executives have to file their own expenses and magically, Within a year, it'll be a better process. I like totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to eat your own shit. <laughs> don't, ha- don't have others do it. Well, uh, enterprise software, Brandon, covered. I think, I think uh, you know, the only thing to cover briefly before we uh, move on to the, the later part of the show, it looks like Microsoft is doing well, Brandon. They're, they are, $50 uh, billion dollars in the quarter. I think we could yeah. say, you know, things seem to be all right. If you make $50 billion dollars in a quarter... Doing all right, my friends. Doing all right. I yeah. guess, so, quote unquote, Azure didn't grow, grow quite as fast, but Azure was still. Although, of course, always the caveat, like uh, Microsoft sort of breaks out as cloud services with other stuff. But I think we can look at that and say, like, they continue to do very well. Yeah. Yeah. I still, you know, I ask this every now and then, but I need someone to uh, to write up, like, what uh, what happened there in a very, like, practical, tactical, you know, obviously Microsoft has been doing, has been doing very well for, like, five 10 years or so maybe it's five i don't even know when it started but uh man there, there there's some strategy decks there that started to turn things around or not turn things around because i think it was fine at the time but change things to a great deal and uh it might be a little bit of halo effect 
to make a old reference, but still, it'd be fun to uh, see what happened there. Well, I mean, I guess to answer your question is like, I guess one of us is going to have to go um, read uh, the CEOs of uh, Microsoft. What is it? It's uh, Satya Nadella, right? You know, I guess his uh, book is Hit Refresh. So I guess we could read that. And I'm sure he goes yeah, in, into I, details. I, was, I don't know. I it feels, was thinking that. It feels it may, hard to it, like get on that. I don't know. That one feels like it would be. Uh, is it, it might, on Audible? It, it's uh, on. It's an audiobook, so I guess I could. I don't know. Maybe one of us needs to volunteer. But I feel like that. I don't know. Maybe that won't have the answers. But I think. I think he probably attempts to answer that question in there. It, it might at least cover the uh, the the culture aspect. Like what what is how is it that we think people should be working and uh, and existing, and 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 then one could assume that like that was put in place and that causes part of the success. But then. The other part of that that literature needs to be like, how was that put into to place? Just like we were just talking about, no one wants to change. So how do you uh, how do you put things? Uh, how do you get people? But to, this is uh, just to just over? based on the cover. Let me just tell you this this gets you in. Okay, so it's one. It's a New York Times bestseller. The title, as I mentioned, hit refresh. The subtitle is the quest to rediscover Microsoft's soul and imagine a better future for everyone. And the foreword is by Bill Gates. So that book at least as it's actually that title, I think is just trying to tell you, Cote, the answer of how they did it, quote unquote, refresh Microsoft and reimagine the soul. Like that's right at you, right? I mean, I feel like that book cover is telling you I'm going to give you those yeah, answers. Yeah, okay. But it feels okay. like when you look at it, you're like, I don't, even re when I read it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the answers aren't in this book. Like, do you have that like weird d discontinuity? It's almost like you said you're going to answer exactly what I want to know, but I, I still don't believe you. Yeah, well, it's just that there's such a, a high failure rate for business books being useful <laughs> that like going into any of them, you just like, this is going to be not useful. It's just going to be a bunch of stories uh, instead of like, you know, instead of being like a manual or a, a, or a workbook or something to actually help things out. I mean, you know, every now and then you get like uh, you get like a lean canvas or a, uh, or a halo effect book, <laughs> but then you just got a whole bunch of like, you know, People just wrote up the same old shit again with with different words. <laughs> I think the thing is there are no manuals. That maybe that's that's the book. That's the business yeah, book. Yeah, There's probably yeah. a business book written about that. There are no. That's manuals. like that's that's like you know Seth Godin's like fiftieth book. Yeah, it's going to be called No Manuals. <laughs> that's right. And then it just has one page and it says there are no manuals. Thanks for purchasing this book. <laughs> yeah. I went to Princeton, by the way. Sold as an NFT. That's a, that's yeah. how it all ends. <laughs> <laughs> that's your Web three update for this episode. Sold as an NFT. Well, speaking of, do we have any bureaucracy with this episode, uh, Brandon? Absolutely. We've got a couple of things. One, I want to thank Chris for writing in. I sent him some stickers. He's in Tulsa, which I think Tulsa reminds me of Austin. You know, uh, the one time I went there, there's a nice river running through it. So I don't know. Kote, you ever been in Tulsa? You have any thoughts yeah, on Tulsa? Yeah, that's, that's where uh, my son was born. Oh, so okay. I've, I've spent a lot of time in Tulsa. Well, there I mean, you go. You have fond relative memories. Relative to what you would expect. There, there's Tulsa is is uh, not the ultimate, but it's uh, you know there's that theory that the dominant architectural design of a city represents its financial apex. And I think that is definitely the case in apex because it's full of like art deco stuff, which is like what 1910, 1920 when there's a huge oil boom mm -hmm. uh, there. And so it's uh, there's a great museum there. I forget what it's called, but it's like a old art deco house. And uh, I don't know. It's got good stuff. All right. And well, they got that, they got that, uh, they got that Briars. That's Europe. And is it Briars? It's like it's like a it's like a ice cream not Briars, it's it's like an ice cream and hamburger shop. Mm. But they also have like a little convenience store. Someone who's oh, listening to this will know what good. it's called. All right, they have a convenience store and like 
once you get like a little north of DFW, mm-hmm. and I don't know how far north it goes, but you get this whatever it's called. It starts with a B, and it's it's like it's it's interesting because not only is it a burger and ice cream place, but they also have as as I think people would call it in the Northeast, they also have kind of like a like a convenience store of bodega in there. Oh, okay. So I when when we would go to them, I would notice that a lot of people would just go in there to get groceries. Oh, and, all right. And so it's like a weird. It's kind of like a super Target or super Walmart, except not super and really small. <laughs> except <laughs> the opposite of us. All right. Well, maybe Chris uh, will write in and tell us like what we're, what that name that store is. I don't know. I've only been to Oklahoma like a few times, so I didn't I didn't notice it. But speaking of listener follow up. Uh, so last week I was talking about like some uh, fruity drink that you drink at cricket. Or at least I did. Robert informed me that the drink name is Pims. I could not remember it last night, mm. but absolutely. So I would recommend that everyone, when you go to your cricket match, get yourself a pitcher of uh, Pims. Also from Slack, uh, somebody posted this. I don't know, Kote, if you've watched it. It's a uh, line goes up, which is basically quote unquote, the problem with NFTs. So this person, I guess, Dan Olson, it's been viewed a few million times really goes into detail about some of the problems around web three and specifically NFTs. So this thing is probably on the order of 90 minutes to two hours. So you actually really want it right to go through. But I thought it was, I mean, I think I know what's going on in this space, but it was interesting for someone to lay out kind of the, the bear case, like a lot of the problems. So if you're, I don't know, probably everyone has an opinion, but if you're interested in just sort of like, you know, obviously he has somewhat of an agenda, but he does a really good job of just explaining a lot of like, oh, this is like, this is how you kind of do fraudulent trades. And this is how you do like, um, like wash trades and like kind of just explained mm, yeah. a lot of the pitfalls that like maybe I was somewhat aware of, if not. So if nothing else, even if you love Web3 and you think it's great, like watching this gives you kind of a, a sense of things to watch out for. But it is long. It is really long. So well, may, maybe when I finally watch all of the Kenji cooking videos. I'll uh, I'll switch over to to this. Okay. <laughs> I'll right. learn how to make noodles and all sorts of uh, Chinese and, and uh, you'll be know how to prevent uh, being uh, uh, avoid fraud in Web three. And then I, li- uh, I like I like how our bureaucracy is also turned into uh, follow up. Well, that's, that's you good. know, bureaucracy this is, and follow up. You know, we don't have room for another segment. You know, we're all we're we're packed in, so it all just goes right here. And then finally, bureaucracy. Uh, let's see here. I think it's. Uh, Michael, uh, oh yeah, Mike Wild. He, uh, I did an interview with him a while back. Anyway, he wants you to work at Honeycomb as a senior product marketing manager. So that links in the show notes. You can also go into the Slack jobs channel, find that out. And Brian wants you to be a senior product manager working on cloud infrastructure in, uh, in quote unquote remote, which I guess means probably anywhere in the United States. So if you're looking for jobs, you can go in the jobs channel. Both these links will be in the show notes and you can probably find uh, Michael and Brian and they would tell you more about it in Slack if you are so inclined to apply for those jobs. Great opportunities. That's right. Well, there's a, oh, I looked it up. The name of the place is Brahms. B-R-A-U-M-S. Okay. Brahms. Right. Got it. And uh, so there's, there's several conferences. There's, there's uh, that conference rescheduled to be at the end of May, May 23rd to 26th. And uh, there's one in Wisconsin as well where there's a call for speakers open. There's also a call for speakers open for DevOps Day Chicago and uh, Birmingham. Which, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 341, you can find links to those. Uh, and we, we, uh, I think we have nailed down, as they say, the dates for our spring tour uh, events. A lot of them in America. I think we're just going to have one over here in Europe, but that's fine. But I'll, I'll start advertising those when we have uh, 
as they say in the business, uh, Brandon, landing pages uh, for them. <laughs> That's right. Landing so you pages. Can go, you can go and register. Love a, love a landing page. I think I think this year we're going to do some little uh, executive events during them, oh, uh, Brandon. Fancy. Be, uh, fancy. Yes. Yes. Maybe you should up. make them all uh, do their own expense reports while you're there. That would be fun. Oh, yes. That'd be a yes. fun event for everyone. Hey, let me teach you about digital transformation. We're all going to open up Concur. Go on. We're going to file our expenses. No, no assistance allowed. Uh, yeah. You know, you should check out. We reference the Slack channel a lot. There's always a lot going on over there. Also, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you don't have to put 341 at the end. You can just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. You can click up there and uh, join the Slack channel. All sorts of things like that. So, uh, you know, did you mention stickers already, Brandon? I didn't, but if you want any stickers, just uh, send me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. That's right. They're good, they're good stickers, diecast. So with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Probably something people already know about, but I really like it. Ozark Season 4. So they broke Season 4 into two parts. So it's Ozark Season 4 Part 1. It just, uh, I think it just re- released on Netflix last week, and uh, I binged it all. really like Ozark. I think it's Jason Bateman's uh, finest work. I'm sure some people will disagree with uh, what's that show everybody likes. I can't remember Arrested Development. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm like one of the few people that just like, I'm just like, yeah, Arrested Development, fine. But it's Ozark, I love it. So uh if you're interested, if for some reason you've never heard of the show, obviously start at the beginning. It's, you know, it's, it's, you've got four seasons to go. But if you're uh, just someone that likes it, then uh, check it out. I think season four, part one is as good as any, any of the rest. And we only got one more uh, season four, part two. It series is over then. So uh, what will happen to Marty and the family? Stay tuned. You know, th- this reminds me, I think I mentioned this, but I discovered, you know, that uh, in our Disney Plus, all of our accounts, the adult accounts, were set for like sixteen and below. And uh, <laughs> did I tell this story? I, 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 no. So you're like, whoa! Look at all these other shows. Yeah, and and it was this is classic enterprise oh, stuff. <laughs> is is like I, I for some reason I couldn't change it like in the UI like right. and you know I looked up all the help stuff and whatever. Yeah, you're like a kid. Possible. Like once you're in the kid profile, you can't change the kid profile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Or or I, I mean, no, it said that I was an adult. It just like there was something weird, and so. This is, you know, one of the best, maybe the best uh, innovation in enterprise soft in any software is that little chat window at the mm-hmm. bottom for customer support. Right. And so I just opened that up and chatted with someone, and they're like, "Yep, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh. oh, okay, I'm going to re- reset your account, you know, so that uh, it has this there." And so I don't know what the deal is. I think maybe I feel like I've told this story, but I, I think maybe I signed up for it like the first month they had it in the Netherlands. Like it's the, the when it uh, came out originally, okay. uh-huh. and so maybe maybe uh, like like all great software, it was just running my my database needed to be updated to uh, <laughs> uh, for some for some reason the feature flag hadn't been flipped. Yeah, on, on my the administrator account. flag had, had been uh, had been flipped the other way. But yeah, they have off. they have like the they have like the Walking Dead in there, and uh, they also have this annoying part one part two of a season. But, well, maybe we'll talk about it next week. I don't know. Netflix, you know, the, everyone, their earnings, they're like way off as a stock. So I don't know. Maybe they're uh, the quote unquote, like good product, bad business. Like it's like a weird thing. It's like you're super successful. Everyone's subscribed to you. But like, is not, it, is it people don't it, think you're going to grow. And it's like, so, so this kind of makes me sad, right? Because I think like shows like Ozark and others that cost more money. Right. It's, it's, I guess let me say this. A long tangent here is like it's kind of be, could be going to enterprise software. It's like, well, once every family has it right, all you need to do is produce a show 
as cheaply as possible that someone in your family wants. So for me, in my household, it's like, well, my son likes a lot of the, the whatever, the reality-based like cooking shows and like they're super cheap to make he likes to watch them they're fine they're super family friendly and fun but like it's not like the ozark kind of stuff that i like so now i'm sort of makes me kind of sad it's like oh they're just gonna make you know these kind of like reality-based tvs and we're just all stuck gonna to pay for it but they're not we're not really gonna get like the shows that i want because they're super expensive and they're probably not profitable so Mm. so i don't know Netflix, I'm worried about you. It makes me sad because you made such good TV for me over the years. Well, you know, I, I don't, maybe my theory, I shouldn't even say theory. I would be curious. You know, I'm always, I'm always have in my back pocket this idea of like, how much growth do you really need? Could you just make money? <laughs> and like, may, I wonder if it's a case of just like Netflix, just like there's, you know, they can't have double digit growth anymore because like at some point, like, everyone once everyone has it this is this is kind of like yogi Berra business strategy it's like you know that company's not successful anymore because everyone buys it right like and, and at some point like you can't really grow and then you get stuck in that dumb thing of like no we need to acquire a new business to cross sell and just like well for, point- i think we talked about it like their thing is games right which i think we sort of ranted on. Yeah, I, guess yeah. I probably ranted on i was like i don't think it's a good decision but i get like again back to like in this in the the room i think i was sort of like hey why don't they do live sports they could do a lot of good things with live sports but i'm sure what happened was they were like listen look at the market for games it's and of course like microsoft bought activision for like 80 billion dollars and they're like games are worth like one of the most profitable niches and growing niches in all of it versus sports or more scripted dramas right so i'm sure at some point they're like yep we're going to do games. And like, I'm pretty sure it's not going to work, but like, I get it. Like you see the logic, right? They're like, yeah, we got to get in games so we can grow. And it's like, well, I'm sure going to miss my, my shows like Ozark, but okay, go for it. Yeah. Games. Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, Kote, what did you, what are you recommending this week? Oh, this, this week, uh, I finally got around to making this thing that, that I had. I, I want to maybe get a generalized recommendation that, and that is pea soup. Or the way that I like to make it is more of kind of like a pea stew. You know, you get your split peas, you cook those up. And then here, the way they do it here is uh, they sell, you know, like everywhere, they sell these kits that you can make things of. And uh, there's a burrito kit, if you can believe that. I think I've actually used it once and it wasn't so bad. Uh, But, uh, you know, you buy a kit with the peas in it and they have, do you, uh, how do you say this? Do you, I forget if we have this back in this, in America, or the states uh and it, it, do you have like celeriac you know it's like this big ball and i think it's like the bottom of celery or something but they have those everywhere around here like the things they have here that uh you know of course you have those um oh i can't think of it but you know you got those little like uh elliptical uh heads of cabbagey stuff that people just love the shit out over here of over here especially in belgium what are those things called they're everywhere, and I feel like this celeriac thing or celerac is like is not an American thing, but it's this big like thing you slice up that tastes kind of like celery. You put that in there, and you cube up some carrots and put it in there, and you're supposed to uh, use a hand blender to blend it all together into like you know a soup, because as the Dutch will tell you, they love smashing things. Anything that they can smash together into a paste is like Dutch cuisine. But what I've found is that the peas will cream themselves. But if you leave those chunky things not uh, blended up, you got yourself a little stew there. 
And then you can get another another Dutch uh, specialty treat, which is how would they say it, the, the Roquevurst, which is like, and it's usually unrefrigerated sometimes, but it's one of those, um, what would we call these? We kind of have these back back in America, but it's like, you know, a sausage with a string attaching two ends of it, and it's like smoky taste. I, we have those, but they're always a little different. Like, usually it's kind of like peppery and things like that. But these are just very mild sausages, but they have the smoky taste to them. And, of course, you get one of those and just throw it into the uh, into the pea soup. And, you know, you got smoky pea soup. You're off to the races. <laughs> You're supposed to cook it with, like, a ham hock or something, but I never do that. I, you know, it's a lot of work. Actually, it's not a lot of work. I just never plan ahead. <laughs> so check that out. This is a good time of year to have pea soup. And, you know, try to make it a little little chunkier than you might like. It's uh, one of the few things I make that the kids get excited about, uh, which I wouldn't have been excited about pea soup when I was young. That would, I would think that was disgusting. Well, on that note, one thing that's not disgusting is the time you've spent with us listening to Software Defined Talk. The sh- show notes for this episode, how to subscribe, join the Slack channel, get stickers, whatever you like. You can find that all out if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 341 and uh, really get in there. With, with the pea soup. With that, bye-bye. Where is this screen, Brandon? See, this is my last experimentation with TikTok. Oh, wait, you gotta, you've got to add my guy, my screen. I'm adding, so. I'm adding you, you, your other person? Okay, yeah? Yeah. So you can see this video. This is me talking about how you can get a free Kubernetes distro. Okay. That, that got 288 views. Uh-huh. And this is a picture of a pumpkin that dances. And that got 598. See, yeah. Well, the pumpkin is. I mean, it's very exciting. I mean, it's a, a pumpkin gift. You know, how, how do you go wrong with that?